Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the PropG podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the Future of Work, a PropG Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropG Pod wherever you get your podcasts. There are many different paths you can take. But there's only one road to Atlanta. The high drive deep out to left field. He clubbed it. Brady twisting and turning, looking up and giving up. It's a home run for Danby Swanson. Flair out towards shallow right. That's big trouble. Albies going back. He dives and he makes the catch. What a play, Ozzy Albies. Swanson is headed for three. He'll try for an inside the parker. Relay throw comes toward the plate. He'll score standing, and it's his second inside the park home run of the season. This is your weekly podcast dedicated to the Atlanta Braves farm system. Follow the show on Twitter at road, the number two, Atlanta. Now, hit the road with your hosts, Eric Cole, Gaurav Vidak, and Garrett Spain. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Road to Atlanta, a podcast devoted solely to the Braves farm system and Braves prospects. I'm one of your hosts, Eric Cole. You may recognize me from my work over on what was formerly known as TalkingChop.com and is now known as BatteryPower.com. I have been with the site since 2015. This will become relevant shortly as we're going to be taking a little bit of a look back in this episode at a bit of uh, Garrett and I's origin story. And that kind of spoils who my guest this week is, my very semi-regular co-host. You can follow him on Twitter at BravesMILB. Garrett Spain, how are you, man? I am good to go. Um, I'm excited about uh, minor league spring training since it's the only real baseball we get. Uh, and uh, yeah, ready. This is going to be a fun episode, I think. Yeah, uh, I've got, I already teased it a little bit. Obviously, right now we're in we're amidst the MLB lockout, and news and transactions are just say it sparse is a bit of an understatement. Uh, basically, we just wait for news as to whether how phone calls between the league and the players' association go. So we thought it would be fun to uh, take a look back a bit at some of the old prospect lists that we that Garrett and I made together way back when when we first started at the site and kind of go through and look a bit of a little bit of a retrospective uh, and also to kind of talk a little bit about kind of it is a stark reminder of how painful prospecting is and the failure rate there is of them uh, as well as how far the Braves development system and just the overall minor leagues have come since then. So, but before we do that, there is a bit of minor league news. Obviously, the minor league start of the season is right around the corner, and more importantly, minor league camp opened up this past weekend. All the guys are supposed to reporting be reporting on the fourth. Uh, they're all down there, with some notable exceptions, and we'll get to those. But Garrett, uh, what are we hearing from kind of around the? I guess around the the coverage, seeing as how it seems like because all these guys don't have any major league coverage to uh, to do, it seems like we're getting a decent a bit of coverage of at least the big names down there at minor league camp. Yeah, I mean the biggest thing that we're hearing is uh, good news about um, Michael Harris and Shea Langeliers both looking impressive at camp. You know, um, you know Harris uh, put on some weight this uh, winter. It looks like which you know. 
probably a good thing for him. You know, you know, the one question we kind of had with him last year was, you know, there wasn't a ton of power there. Where's the power going to come? Well, he added some weight and good weight. And so that's going to be nice to see, you know, kind of how his power develops this year. And of course, Langoliers is getting very, very close to the uh, catcher of the future, uh, taking over as the catcher of now. And so seeing him have a good spring is going to be a good, is going to be a good sign going forward and kind of getting him a jump start on what we assume will be a triple A season. Yeah. Uh, as the, Kind of minor league camp rolls along. We're going to be checking in with some of our regular eyes and ears down there just to kind of see who's looking good, who is maybe struggling, and, you know, any other news that we might be able to find. A little bit early to do that right now, just obviously the very beginning of camp. Nothing really to report beyond what what everyone's hearing right now is that Michael Harris is impressing the crap out of a lot of people. The, the, the thing about his Michael Harris's power, and it's worth mentioning here, is that his raw power has never been in question. His batting pack practice power has always been very, very good. In fact, it's what got the Braves on board with him in the first place. Uh, when he was, before he was drafted and a piece just came out, uh, forgive me, I forgot who wrote it. I believe it was Mark Bowman who was covering this, who kind of had this anecdote in there was that before the draft, the Braves did rate Harris higher as a pitcher. And that's what they wanted him to be looked at. But when Dana Brown went to go watch him, he liked the energy level when he was out in the outfield. He just seemed like he was enjoying it more. And then he was hitting these scorching line drives, really started to like him as a position player a lot more. They dug on to, into him a lot more as a position player, and they decided to pull the trigger on him and make him pre- a fairly high draft pick in that draft, and obviously that's worked out well. The Braves have a pretty good – well, I say pretty good. This doesn't happen a whole lot, but, for example, Austin Riley was highly rate, more highly rated as a pitcher, and they pick him as a hitter. Obviously that turned out really well for them now. Michael Harris is kind of in that same boat. And, you know, it seems like the Braves, and again, this we're talking about different, you know, different regimes altogether and, you know, in terms of who the scouting directors are, who's the scouts involved and all that. But the Braves certainly don't seem to be averse to looking at a guy's primary position and being willing to move them off them if they think that the upside is there. Spencer Schwellenbach is kind of a wait and see how that goes. Example from a reason, from the most recent draft as a guy who was primarily a shortstop and a relief pitcher, and now they're going to run him out there as a starter once he returns from Tommy John surgery. Uh, Shane Lightyear's, again, there's a lot to be impressed by with him, is that, you know, his ability to control a running game is unparalleled. That arm of his is an absolute cannon, and he has real raw power. The question is going to be just how much the hit tool plays against better against better pitchers, and, we'll, and we will see how that plays out. I am cautiously optimistic, and more importantly, the bar for catcher is pretty low there. So we will see. He doesn't have to be a guy who's hitting 270 in the major leagues to have a major league job, uh, particularly if he continues to improve with his framing, his ability to block, and then, you know, just, you know, as well as his, you know, very, very strong ability to control the running game. I think that's something that's going to be an X factor for him for a long time. It's that, you know, when in doubt, he has the ability to pick guys off at first. He has the guys, he has the ability to throw out guys with big jumps at second. He's, that, that is something that's going to be very useful for him. Nice to hear that he's, you know, impressing folks in spring. Looks like he's been working really hard in this offseason, and that's what you want to see out of kind of the really the two of the top premier prospects in the Braves farm system. Who we're not seeing, though, are any of the guys who are on 40-man rosters who would normally be in minor league camp. Now, this is where we have to get a little bit speculative here because, for example, with guys like Drew Waters, very likely to have started in minor league camp. Christian Pache, Maybe would have been in major league camp, maybe not, but you think it doesn't matter because if you're on the 40 man roster with a lockout, they can't participate in any of it. Even if they were destined to start the year in AAA because they're on the 40 man roster, 
those guys cannot participate in camp, and that's a big bummer. And that goes from just guys like, you know, Christian Pache and Drew Waters who have a really high amount of prospect pedigree to guys who are more organizational filler types or, you know, like guys they were hoping to stash at AAA is kind of quad A types, you know, whether it be relievers or, you know, a guy like Travis Demerit, for example. Those are all guys who simply cannot work out with, you know, the, the organization right now. And that's a pretty big bummer. What, what, do you have any kind of any takeaways or any real concerns? Or when should – I guess the better question is when should we start getting concerned that this could really impact these guys negatively? Because, I mean, I don't think it's going to be a huge deal if they miss the first week or maybe in the first two weeks of minor league camp. But when, when should we start getting really, really concerned? You know, I don't, I don't know how to say how much of an impact it's going to have long term. I mean, because these guys are working out. I mean, these guys are professionals. They're working out on their own. There's not an issue there. I mean, I think it's more going to be, you know, if this starts dragging on into the month-long, two-month-long type thing, then all of a sudden guys that may have gotten to the major league level and contributed this year, a guy like, say, Spencer Strider, instead of coming up in, you know, July to contribute, you know, suddenly that timeline gets pushed back and he spends all year at AAA. Apologies, I had a bit of an interruption there. Um, anyways, as I was saying, you know, guys that might have come up in July might not get there this season. That can have an impact on this season, on what the Braves do this year. You know, and then you look at a situation like, you know, the situation, you know, there's an ongoing catching battle as to which guy they're really going to lean on going forward. And one of these guys is getting to play and the other is, you know, with William Contreras being on the 40-man roster. And I mean, and that's an advantage that's for yeah. that's an advantage for Langoliers that he's going to be able to get out there, you know, put the bat on the ball and have an opportunity to impress the Braves where Contreras won't, and that's going to have you know that's the type of things that could make a difference in the future of you know the organization going forward. Yeah, that, the the catcher battle is an interesting one because again they have it seems like they have a plan at backup catcher in the short term with Pena, but you know, when you have guys like Contreras and you have guys like Langoliers, these reps that you get with pitching staffs, even with these young pitchers, all of that stuff matters. And you're I think you're right in the sense that if it's just a, a couple weeks or even if it's just camp, I don't think it hurts them all that much. Although I am a big proponent on getting particularly catchers as many reps just getting used to, you know, reframing pitches, getting getting that instruction, getting used to calling games, working on game plans and things like that. All that stuff is really important, and I think that getting those repetitions is a really big deal. But I don't think that it's going to be a big, big deal until it starts, like, impacting their availability to start the minor league season. If they can't start the minor league season, then we have a different problem altogether. And this is particularly – and, you know, this could impact, you know, more importantly, the Braves' plans for Christian Pache because right now Ronald Acuna Jr. we suspect is not going to be ready to start the minor, the major league season, and you know there's just they're short on outfielders right now. Now free agency can change all of that. There's a lot of things that kind of go into you know analyzing this, but at the end of the day, the less time you, these guys have to prepare, the less options the Braves have at the major league level to fill in gaps that they may have going forward, particularly for the 2022 season. And, you know, when you already lose a big chunk of time due to the, the, the you know, COVID basically torpedoing the 2020 season, you have some guys that are, you know, have been on the cusp and have had their development interrupted, you know, guys like Pache, guys like Waters, you know, a lot of these pitching prospects like Kyle Muller and Tucker Davidson and et cetera, et cetera. 
Uh, it'll be interesting to see who's healthy and what everyone's doing down there at minor league camp who's not on the 40-man roster because there's certainly some guys who could, you know, get on the radar pretty quickly. Um, I would not be surprised if Bryce Elder really impresses a lot of people down there at spring at, at minor league spring. You know, and he's a guy that is not on the 40-man roster, but he has been very impressive and moved up the system very, very quickly. And if he really impresses down there, all of a sudden he can get into the conversation potentially for a rotation spot right there out of spring, especially with the other guys sidelined. You know, there's obviously other considerations. For example, you'd have to make room for him on the 40-man roster, and there's a lot of other stuff. And with the potential free agent derby that would be happening before the 22 season starts, whenever that happens, there's a lot that kind of goes into those into that. But ultimately, when you see a guy like you know guys like Bryce Elder being able to show out and having an opportunity to show you know the organization where they are right now, coming out of the work, right out of the the break, versus guys on the 40-man roster who may not have that same opportunity. It's an advantage. I'm not sure if I would call it a, a sizable one until, like Garrett said, until we start kind of getting into the minor league season and these guys aren't being played. And I'll go ahead and say this. If this leads into the minor league season, the Gwinnett Stripers are going to be horrid because there's a lot of guys who are really important to that team being pretty good that are on the 40-man roster and they will not be able to play. And all of a sudden that team becomes a lot less interesting to watch. Obviously we're still going to be covering them in our recaps, but those recaps become a lot less interesting whenever you're losing, you know, seven or eight prospects that are on the 40-man roster that can't play at all. So, okay, Garrett, this is the part where we talk about our bit of our origin story. For those who aren't aware, I started at Talking Chop in 2015 and it was, I would say about a month before the draft that year. Um, I, you know, I just started just kind of as a hobby to write at Talking Chop and it became readily apparent that I was going to have the ability to take on more responsibilities. And Chris Willis, who is still my boss, is going more, was more than willing to give me those responsibilities. It was funny. I, I didn't start doing this to really do a bunch of digging in on prospects necessarily. I enjoyed following along with prospects, you know, like a lot of the old, you know, Scout.com type articles and reading Baseball America, all that. I enjoyed reading all those and figuring out who was going to be coming up. But I, you know, was still pretty heavily invested on the major league side. And I still am. But, you know, what happened was that the goal was to get minor league recaps up every day. And who the guy who was in charge of all the minor league stuff at that point was not good at his job, uh, was consistently would just blow off assignments and, you know, Chris would have to get up early. And back then the recaps were going up at like 8 a.m. And, you know, he would like message me at like 7. You know, I'd be dropping off my kids at, you know, back then this was, you know, dropping them off at daycare and, you know, getting kids off to school and all that stuff. And he would message me and be like, Can you please write the recap this morning. You know, <laughs> we don't have anyone to cover it. And I started doing that pretty regularly. And over time he's like, I'm just going to go ahead and give you – the the reins on the minor league side uh and he and i for a little while were kind of handling it together we had some help on some you know from some other folks back then but you know generally it was me and chris kind of making it work and then i as i was taking on this responsibility i noticed this fairly quickly rising twitter account that was covering the the minor leagues uh posting recap tweets every day uh for at each level uh, about what the stat lines were i followed it and it made my life a lot easier uh, especially when they were, you know, actually watching the games and all that stuff. And I sent a message to young Garrett here, uh, who ran this account. Uh, back then it was Braves Farms up, Braves Farm updates. And I messaged him and, you know, was just talking a bit of baseball with him. And the draft happens. 
Uh, again, one of my probably the first handful of assignments I had at Talking Chop was write, my, writing up the drafting of Mike Soroka, where I famously called him a potential underslot play. Uh, obviously, that that didn't that that was not correct at all. Uh, but I get in touch with Garrett. I talked to him for a while, and Chris and I were really adamant about wanting to put together a top 25 Braves prospect list. We wanted to have a prospect list for the site. And I was overwhelmed with – I wanted to do it right. I wanted to make sure I had a lot of good information out there. But to write a prospect list by yourself is an enormous undertaking. And, again, I had a really young family, and I only had so much time in the day where I could do these sorts of things, especially with a day job. And I asked Garrett if he'd be willing to help me out with this. And I'm going to go ahead and let Garrett take the reins here because this is kind of where the story gets pretty funny. Oh, uh, what's the story? I mean, I, I remember the first time it, you that, reached... it, it was Ozzy. No, 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 no. I, I'll, I'll say the first time you reached out was I was going out to watch Ozzy and Tuki Toussaint's debut right after he had gotten traded for the Braves. Yep, that's it was right, like that's the end right. of June. So it was like the end of June. And he was like, Hey, you know, you want to do this article with me? He was like, fine. All right. I'm like, yeah, sure. Why not? You know, let, let's do that. And we ended up doing that. And then he's like, do you, would you be willing to stick around for this prospect list? And I'm like, yeah, uh, but Ozzy Albies is the best prospect in the system. And he agreed with me and, uh, we've been, yep, uh, yep, that, agreeing that, on that a was, lot of stuff, very, a lot of stuff since. That was, that was the condition. The, the, literally Garrett said, I will help with the list, but Ozzy has to be number one. And I already had him there and I was like, we are on the same page. Uh, and oddly enough, Chris still talks about this. Garrett's first article with Talking Chop was his, what, I think it was the first one. It couldn't have been, I mean, I don't think he helped with the recap. It was my first, it was my first, it was my first solo article. Yeah. Yeah. You did a deep dive into who we were still calling Osheno Albies back then. Uh, we knew he went by, we, he was called Ozzy, but you know, it wasn't like the ubiquitous thing back as it is now. It's that Garrett, Chris still talks about that one of the best, one of the best articles that's ever been put on the site. And, you know, once he, once Garrett did that, and I was like, this is really, really good. And it just, the conversations just felt right. The collaborations felt right. But I will tell you, the first prospect list we did together was a sludge because we, we both really wanted to do a great job, wanted to do right by all the players, wanted to make sure we had good information, uh, have videos, which oddly enough, looking back on it now, uh, are no longer exist, I guess, uh, or at least those embeds no longer work. Uh, which kind of irritates me, but at the same time, considering how much work we put in actually selecting those videos and all that, but that that's how it started. It was Garrett and I, what the minor league coverage kind of turned into. After that, we Garrett and I were rolling along, barely getting any sleep because we were alternating back and forth doing these recaps. And then we get Garav involved. He joins the site and starts helping out. And then we grab Matt. And then it's been kind of snowballing ever since. And we now have a staff that I am incredibly proud of. And I think that puts the, some of the best minor league content out there right now uh, in terms of you know, being comprehensive, you know, making sure that we're doing right by all the guys and keeping tabs on all the minor leaguers. You know, the, what the, the minor league coverage has been a great source of pride of mine. Um, and it's been, a big part of that has been when Garrett joined the you know, join the cause, if you will. So we thought it would be fun. Uh, we, we've always kind of teased this, that we need to go back and look at our old prospect lists. And we're going to do that this. We are going to do this for this episode. We may do this as a bit of a series while we're waiting on the lockout to go through. I'm not sure if we can do every list. We might just find the lists that are particularly funny or particularly noteworthy. But when we get back from the break, we're going to look back at the first list where it was just Garrett and I 
published July 16, 2015, which is a lot longer ago than I was kind of thinking. I think about how long ago it was. It doesn't feel like it was that long ago. But when we get back from our break, we're going to, Garrett and I are going to go through and have a, a good laugh and, you know, kind of talk about what our first list together was, who panned out, who didn't, and how we, how we feel about the list uh, in retrospect. But for right now, we're going to take a quick break to listen to a word from our sponsors. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Garrett, it's time. This list cracks me up because we were right a lot at the top, I think. I think that's fair. And then things get off the go off the rails in a hurry. So when you were when when I when I kinda like threw this idea to you and you we kinda you kinda looked at this list, what was the thing that kind of stood out to you the most? How like like we talk now about how like the Braves don't have a very deep system, but looking back at this list now, it's like, man, we were really scraping to find 25 players at this point. Like, and it's kind of funny though. I mean, it's like, there are a couple of guys on here that, I mean, we took legitimate chances on, you know, pretty early and a, a lot of them turned out really, really well for us. And so it's kind of, I think overall, I'm surprised at kind of how well we did, considering it was both of our first times ever doing anything like this. Yeah, it was kind of wild. Uh, for those who aren't aware, back then, the debate in the minor league system for the Braves was, number one, the only person that had put Ozzie Albies as the number one prospect in the system before us was Kylie, Kylie from Fangraphs, right? Most people had Jose Peraza, who is still around. Um, you know, stole a ton of bases in the minor leagues, and you know he had a really big year in the minor leagues. We stole, I think it was like seventy something bases. I can't, I can't remember. It was so long. Uh, maybe it was, he was like, I think he stole like sixty back in like the year before. And again, short, a fairly sure-handed short, shortstop at the time, the guy who could steal a bunch of bases. And the pickings were very slim back then. Um, just to kind of give some perspective. Of the 25 guys who we made of our list, exactly four of them are still in the organization. Now, some are still playing baseball elsewhere. Uh, they were part of trades. Uh, but no one's really showing out other than those four. I'm going to make sure I'm not losing my mind before I, before I, before I say that. Other than those four. Uh, and those four are Ozzy Albies. And then at number three, we had Max Free. And this was again right after the trade. You know, still weren't sure how healthy he was. We were really excited to see him, but, um, Tuki Toussaint, who's still around. And all the way down at number 21, one Mike Soroka, who again, we're still waiting to come back from injury. But beyond that, on this list, Austin Riley was not on this list. Again, he wasn't a guy that we knew enough about as particularly as a hitter to put on, the, to put on the list. You know, it was one of those guys you circle as an interesting pick, but that was a guy that we would kind of 
immediately put on the list, and we did end up putting them on the season end list. Um, but other than that, all these guys are gone, and there are some luminaries on this list. Uh, but I guess the you know we again the the debate between Ozzy and Jose Peraza that obviously worked out correctly. Uh, you know, in hindsight, maybe you know obviously you you move Jose Peraza down because he's been kind of an eh major league player, but at least he's still playing in the major league, so he has a job. Max Freed was a, is, is a really important part of the Braves' rotation. Tukey, Tukey was a guy that Garrett was in on very early, right after that trade, when the Diamondbacks happened to get him in the first place. He was one of the first guys to actually see him play live. Really, really fun player to watch back then in the minor leagues. And then we get to the guy who I'm reasonably certain is the guy that Garrett and I fought about the most, and Garrett was right, let's just go ahead and get that out of the way, is Lucas Sims. So what, this is, to put in perspective a little bit, the high A affiliate for the Braves back then was the Carolina Mudcats. And very famously, for those who have been around for a long time, there was a bus crash involving the Carolina Mudcats that resulted in a lot of players getting hurt, uh, Careers were ended by it uh, in the short and the long term. It was a it was a really tough situation, and Lucas Sims was one of the guys that was on the bus and did get banged up a bit. Looking back, kind of when we were making this list, where was what was your thought on where we should put Lucas? Because I can't quite remember where you. I don't know if we settled on like a compromise of putting him at five, but I know I was higher on him than you. I do know that. I. I'm pretty sure you had him above Toussaint. You might have had him above Freed. It was it was somewhere between it was somewhere between three and five. I think it was four. I think you had him at four. Um, yeah, I had I him. I, like, I think I liked Freed. I, I think I might have liked him a little I better. I had than him. I, I I I don't know. Somewhere along the way, the list we made before the pop, composite has died and is non-existent anymore. But I want to say I didn't have him like 15, right? Like I had him kind of, you know either early teens or like late back into the top 10. Right. So, you know, for me, like the reason being statistically, he had kind of, you know, he was repeating a level and struggling and, you know, it it was hard, you know, with the way there was a lot of really guys that were, had just come into the system. And so, it's a combination. Thing. There were a bunch of guys that had just kind of come into the system and done really well right away. And it's very easy to immediately put those guys right above him because he wasn't performing well. So some of it was probably a little bit prospect fatigue. I think he was probably yeah, some, was, some recency bias. Yeah. Right. I, I think he was probably higher than what I had him. Like if I, like if I was transported back then, I probably would have ranked him higher than I did, but I don't think that, you know, I don't think that five is enough. Given what, given the next, you know, if you look at the next five guys, Malik Smith, Braxton Davidson, Colby Allard, Tyrell Jenkins, Rio Ruiz, I don't think that having him at five was a ridiculous thing given what we knew about him at the time. You know, unfortunately, and then, you know, the next year, you know, he came out and suddenly we were going, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> that five might have been a really good decision because he went up to double A that year, did really well, and then came out the yep. next and then killed the Arizona yep. Fall League. And so I think he ended up staying at number five for the next list. So, I mean, it ended up very early on. It looked like the right decision. You know, I think just unfortunately, you know, there was some turbulence with the minor league coaching, which hurt him a lot more than it hurt some other guys. And we had some issues with uh 
with his mechanics and he never quite got right with the Braves. Um, so I don't, I don't, looking did, did back at together it, good years of reliever with the Reds though. I mean, he's yes. been kind of mad yeah, since then, but yeah. right. I mean, you know, I, I, I don't think that, I don't think that the ranking was bad in retrospect. I think that it was fine. Um, but I think that, uh, I mean, I think unfortunately, you know, things didn't work out with him, but I don't, you know, the, once you get past that top, I think three, I think the top three, we were pretty like set on those are the three. And once you kind of get past that, it's kind of a jumble of guys. And so we had a lot of, I think we had a pretty big gap in terms of our rankings, but in terms of our actual like way we thought of the guy, I don't know that we were like, I'm sitting here saying he's a bust and you're saying he's, you know, a, you know, number two starter type guy. Yeah, that's fair. It was always like the gap of like four spots if we were fighting over him or really just in general back then. We weren't ever, we always were in the same tiers, I think. I think that's fair to say. We were always kind of like a guy should be in this range somewhere. Um, I feel good. It's interesting kind of what we valued back then. Uh, we did really like Alex Smith and I will defend that ranking to the death. Um, he was a really good, he's really good defender, had put together a really good season for, you know, the, the, the Rays after he left the, after he left Atlanta, but, you know, hasn't played since then. But at the same time, you know, we liked the tool set a lot. He was, you know, stronger than he looked. He was incredibly fast. Um, and it was interesting how cautious we were back then about putting draft picks on here. Because for example, we got Tyrell Jenkins on here who was coming off an injury at number nine. And the only reason he's not number nine is because he showed out at the Arizona Fall League after coming out of that injury before he was traded to the Braves. And we were higher on Jenkins, you know, during the course of his career as a result of that and what he could be, particularly this is kind of that pure athleticism on the mound. But right above him was the Braves' first-round pick that year in Colby Allard, who was a guy who was in the conversation for the number one overall pick uh, before an injury kind of let him fall to the Braves where he where he fell. And we still only put him at number eight, again, below some some good players, but also, again, like guys like Braxton Davidson, who was just a consistent heartbreaker in the, the, in, in the Braves minor leagues where he just had this prodigious power but struck out a ton. And we, we, we tried to ride that train for a while. But typically, you know, in a system as weak as the Braves was back then, you know, he would be a bit higher. And we were a bit cautious there. Uh, we did like Rio Ruiz, uh, number 11. I don't know what we were thinking about putting Manny Benuelos at number 11. I keep looking at it, and that's one of the ones that keeps coming, because below Manny Benuelos is Ricardo Sanchez, who is a really highly regarded uh, young pitching prospect back then. Dustin Peterson, who was uh, returning a trade, who had real power, uh, obviously ended up moving on to the, the Tigers. Jason Hirsch, who was famously picked before Aaron Judge in that draft. And Andrew Thurman, who I think played one more season in the minor leagues. What were we thinking, man? I mean, was it just because he was a, 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 pros- a big prospect with the Yankees like two or three years before? Is that kind of where our head was? Because Yeah, well, with Banuelos, uh, we only – when we did this, we only had like – two months of information because he was coming off of Tommy John surgery and the issue with Ben Willis was he never got his velocity back. And so, no, we were kind of, we were kind of taking his pre Tommy John surgery scouting report into account where it never, that never became relevant again for him. And, and so unfortunately, you know, Ben Willis is one of those guys that 
the very, you know, it's becoming exceedingly rare that guys get Tommy John and are just never the same. And he was one of those guys that was, you know, on Allard, I will say that I was fairly low on Allard. Um, I was concerned by a back injury. Um, so I was a little bit concerned sure, by the sure. back injury. So I think between the two of us, I was definitely the low guy on Allard. I was definitely the high guy on Thurman. I like Thurman a lot. He was another guy that he pitched really, really well for the Mudcats. Um, prior Mudcats to the was bus- a lot of fun. That, yeah, but, prior but, to but the objectively uh, a lot of fun. Yeah, prior to the um, bus crash, he pitched very, very well, uh, and then he just really never got it back. And w- whether that was the bus crash or not, I mean, I. I don't have enough information to say that it was, but it was after the bus crash. He just never really was quite as effective. Um, so that was one that, uh, you know, unfortunately, we don't know how many of these guys really had their careers completely changed by this. And that was one of those guys that, you know, I kind of wonder what he would have been. Sanchez, Sanchez is a guy that I liked a lot, but he just never got healthy. Never worked out. He never could. He never could pitch a full season healthy. And he was, I mean, Sanchez was what Kyle Kubica, I want to say they traded away, which at the time was like, you know, the Braves third baseman of the future. And we see how L O L. That was, that was a fun one, uh, Kyle Kubica, but Sanchez came, I think that's, I think that that was what that trade was. And I mean, he was very highly regarded. He had done great as a 17 year old. He had a, Good season with uh, Rome, and just he just never he just never got healthy enough to make it. But you know, it's a it, it's kind of interesting. You know, I think that this I think that this first list is a very good indication of why we are typically a lot lower on pitchers now than we were then. Because looking at those guys, it's like how many of these guys were injured. You know, Jenkins is a case where the athleticism was there, but he never had the numbers to back it up in terms of he never struck out enough guys to make us, you know, if I looked back at it now, I would have dropped him purely based on the fact that he's not striking guys out. And that's something that, you know, that's one of the guys that, you know, I can kind of see how my evaluation process has grown just by looking at a guy and saying, I would not have him nine now, you know, I, I wouldn't have him, you know, 30, but I wouldn't have him nine. You know, I, he would be more down in that 15 to, you know, the 15 range rather than top 10. Yeah, and context in this list matters too, because again, once you get past the top 10, it gets real dicey in terms of overall talent. And it's pretty clear that your and I's favorite team was the Carolina Mudcats, because looking at it, there's a lot of Carolina Mudcats from that year on this team. Uh, once you kind of get past, uh, Dustin Peterson, Jason Hurst, and Andrew Thurman, who again was a guy who couldn't really get healthy and, you know, pitch for a while. Then you have Max Posey, uh, 6'8", uh, pitcher, who was really, really interesting, really, really skinny, but really, really interesting. A lot of people liked him a lot. The Mariners liked him so much that the Braves actually traded him in the Alex Jackson deal. Uh, and then you have Steve Janis, who was a guy, a pitcher that we liked a lot too. That was a Carolina Mudcat. Uh, again, didn't pitch much longer after, after, I think it was the 2016 or 2017 season is when he was done. Uh, then you have Sean Godfrey, uh, who's no longer playing baseball. Uh, Johan Camargo was on our list at number 19. Uh, back then, he was a very, like, swinging a toothpick type, you know, hitting for average, uh, had a strong arm at shortstop. And just below him is Daniel Castro, uh, starting second baseman for the Braves. <laughs> Daniel Castro. 
<laughs> and had some pitch hitting appearances. If Brad Rowland's listening to this, he's going to be, he's going to be laughing hysterically because I am looking at the only instance where I would ever considered Daniel Castro to be a better player than Mike Soroka, who was sitting here at number 21. Uh, then you have Wes Parsons, who did play for the Braves. Uh, and is, uh, is he still kicking around? He was with the Rockies for a while. I'm not sure if he's still around or not. Uh, Tanner Murphy, uh, was a catching prospect who ended up, uh, leaving the Braves to go to the Giants. And I don't believe he's playing organized baseball anymore. Connor Lean was a fun player overall. Tons of physical talent. Had a cannon of an arm back then. I uh, had like, what was it, like 12, 13 outfield assists that year? Just seemed like every, every week he'd have one or two. Just gunning guys out at second or third. He had a really big arm. Really good defender. Had power. He could run. But that hit tool, man. It didn't get better. Like that was his best year. As a pro, as a hitter, and from then on out, he'd have games in like double A where he'd like hit three home runs, but most of the time it was like, you know, 0 for 4 with three strikeouts. It was the Braxton Davidson special. Uh, and, uh, and then rounding out the top 25 was Kyle Kinman, another pitcher, uh, that kind of <laughs> Garrett uh, alluded to. You know, one thing I'm kind of noticing here, Garrett, just kind of looking at it, this was kind of the start of your and I's just complete aversion of putting relievers on a top 20 a top prospect list at all because none of these guys that are on here they're all starters we didn't put a single reliever on here and I I still think that we've done better in recent years about trying to include relievers on lists because they they do have real value particularly with them at the major league level (laughs) but back then it was you know we we we, I don't think we even considered it but I, I can't even remember a name of a guy that we would have considered for the list right because back then it was just, you know, even the relievers that they were picking were so far away that it didn't really matter. Yeah, I mean, relief pitchers that I can think of back then, um, I, we were both very low on Sabaka. Both of us were low on Sabaka, which um, yep. neither of us like. Was this – I'm thinking Mauricio, but I think he might have already debuted at this point. I can't remember exactly. No, neither was, no, he, no he was around. He was around. He was we around. Like I don't. Him. We did not Mauricio like him. Mauricio Cabrera, we, yep. Yeah, Mauricio Cabrera, we did not like, and um, jo- that, this was the year that Josh Graham got drafted, right? And so we really didn't know anything about him. Those are like the only guys that I can think of that, like, looking back, would have even had a shot. Kinman, Kinman was an interesting arm. He threw three pitches, fastball, curveball, slider. I watched him live. Very good stuff. Kind of had some delivery and consistency. Ended up getting hurt, and I mean, he was fantastic with Rome. Like, absolutely. Dominant. Really good. And then he just never got healthy. And I mean, he, he was like, he pitched like one more year and that was it for him. Like he just could not stay healthy. And he was an older guy already anyway. So yeah, Kimmin was a guy that, Kimmin was a guy looking back that probably shouldn't have been there. But at the same time, at this point in the list, like there was absolutely nothing to work with. Like it, it was yeah. really, really weak at this point in the system. You know, this is a, this is a, but this is a spot now where you would see a guy like Austin Riley, Lucas Herbert, who wasn't on our top 25 list. He was second round pick. I want to say as a catcher. Um, and he never second hit. Third, yeah. Um, you know, you know, guys like that now would have made the list over a reliever. Um, but you know, we were very, very hesitant about – we were definitely hesitant about draft guys back then because we – neither of us had put a lot of effort into the draft, and that's just – Yeah, not, 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 not yet. Because we, yeah. we, we didn't have – I mean, it was 
I mean, at that point, like, it was literally the two of us. Like, there was, like, no time to do anything except write recaps and watch games. Like, we we struggled that first year. But, but yeah, I mean, that, that was a – we definitely were low on draft guys, and we were – you know, I, I don't think that Kim in there is like a terrible pick, but I definitely like looking back, you probably put your second round pick in over a twenty four year old reliever in eight ball. Like that's probably the better yeah, choice. Yeah, we we there was <laughs> some some mistakes were made. Uh I think that the aggressive ranking of Sean Godfrey, who again I don't think played organized baseball, uh like uh, maybe one more season after that. Um, you know, it, it's just it's it's funny to look back on just kind of guys that we were super high on. Again, we were watching a lot of these games and trying to be in on those guys, but it's those, those guys who are just entering the the conversation about, you know, where to put them in. And uh, I, I think we had made the decision that we weren't including any of the J2 guys because we just knew nothing about them yet uh, for this midseason list. And more importantly, like well, it just made the process harder. Yeah. 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 Cause I was, I mentioned this to him the other day. This is the only list that we have done the entire time together that did not have Christian Pache on it. From preseason so the next year to now, he's been on every single list, which is insane. Yeah, that's wild. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and I, mean, I remember like when the rumors were going around that the Razor Seven, you know, going to sign Kevin Maiton. Like we thought he was going to be on the list forever. Obviously, that didn't work out. Um, you know, and then guys like Darian Cruz were on their list for a long time, and you know, seeing what happened. It, it's fun to look back on this. It truly is. It is. It is a lot of fun. Uh, I'm, I'm loving this uh, cover photo from the of a very young Ozzy Albies from the Futures game. Uh, and he looks about the same. The helmet looks a little bit bigger on him in this photo as opposed to when he was playing when he's playing. Now he's playing in the major leagues. But beyond that, you know, it's just funny seeing him in that. But it's also kind of a cautionary tale, right? Because you know, we get our hearts broken every year. You know, like guys that we've just been covering for a long time that just don't make it and they end up being minor league free agents and they end up either retiring or moving to different organizations and eventually not making it. I mean, there are only four – I mean, we put a lot of work into this, a lot. And only four guys are members of the Braves organization right now. Now, again, guys like Colby Allard, Lucas Sims, Tyrell Jenkins, uh, Ricardo – um, Povsey, I'm just making sure all those guys were part of trades that end up being really kind of pretty critical to where the Braves are right now. But, you know, it's a reminder that, you know, obviously the system back then, as we were looking at it, uh, right after the draft, was just being super cautious. It's a cautionary tale about how few guys really can make it, right? You know, I mean, like, there's a lot of guys that we liked a lot. And, Part of that is just us being wrong, but it's just so hard to make it. You know, the, the, it doesn't take that much to go wrong to completely derail a career, right? Um, you know, like Johan Camargo from where he was, it took him basically a, a miracle run between AA and AAA to make it to the major leagues, put together one good season with the Braves and one okay season with the Braves, and that was pretty much it. But guys, you know, and there are guys who played in the big leagues for the Braves. I mean, Tyrell p- pitched in the big leagues. Colby did. Uh, Braxton never made it. You know, Banuelos. Uh, Dustin Peterson had a cameo appearance. You know, Hirsch. Castro. I mean, those are guys who got a taste of it, but 
it's so hard to make it to the major leagues, and it's much harder to stick. And it's a shame because, again, there's the guys that we like, and it's, you know, in some ways it's bittersweet to kind of look back. And I'm like, yep, if only that guy could have figured this one thing out, he would have been in good shape. But, yeah, uh, yeah guys, have, you have any closing thoughts before we let folks go? No, I mean, I think we've uh, pretty much covered it at this point. It's, yeah, but it's, it is it is wild. It's wild looking back and seeing just how many of these guys were, especially the pitchers, were just in, injuries. You know how much of an issue injuries really are with these pitchers. I mean, even a guy that we consider a success in Soroka, like that's an issue. It's that's I think the kind of the the takeaway here is like, man, injuries suck. Yeah, they really do, uh, and you know. If you're inclined to do such things, pour one out for the 2015 Carolina Mudcats because that was a really, really fun team to watch. Um, that's pretty much all the time we have for this week. We really appreciate each and every one of you. For those of you who took the time to download and listen to my interview with Spencer Schwellenbach last week, I really appreciate it. It was a lot of fun to interview him. Spencer's great. Uh, I had a ton of fun talking to him about kind of where he is. He's he feels really good. If you haven't had a chance to, to listen to that, make sure you do so because that is a guy who really has a keen awareness of what he wants to be and where he, what he needs to do to get there. Uh, a lot of insight into kind of what his rehab process has been like, uh, a lot of confidence, and I'm really looking forward to kind of seeing him back on the mound because that was a ton of fun to interview him. Thanks to Garrett, as always, for joining me. If you are not subscribed to this podcast and you do not want to miss a single episode, Fear not. All you have to do is search Battery Power on whatever podcast purveyor you prefer, whether that be iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, whatever you prefer to use. Just search Battery Power. We are very likely to be on there. If we are not, let us know, and we will get on there just to make sure that you won't miss a single episode. Not only will you get this podcast, which is our minor league program, but you'll also get the Battery Power flagship show hosted by the great Brad Rowland, sometimes co-hosted by myself, sometimes by Scott Coleman, sometimes by special guests. And you'll also get the Daily Hammer, which is kind of our more regular, shorter-form podcast hosted by the great Sean Coleman, who's been doing a great job with that. Thank you all so much for all the support. We're going to keep grinding at this. And, you know, it's just a friendly reminder that if you can, make sure you just download old episodes, help us out, because like a lot of outlets, the lockout has been pretty brutal on just traffic and everything, and we want to make sure we can continue to bring great content for you guys. Uh, we're going to keep grinding at it, and we're going to keep making sure there's stuff for you guys to be interested and engaged by with baseball while we're waiting for, you know, the league and owners to get their heads out of their butts and actually figure out how to, you know, negotiate a deal instead of taking 90% of the negotiating areas off the table to begin with. Hopefully that happens soon, but it may not. And we will do our best to fill the void in the meantime. But if you can, if you want to help support us, if you want to help support the podcast, going back down, not only downloading this, downloading this episode, but downloading old episodes, all that stuff helps us out a whole bunch. We really appreciate it. Thank you all so much. Until next time, we'll see you on the road. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts.